Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is the apocalypse nerd and Adam Scott Glancy. Back, finally. After an enforced hiatus. Enforced hiatus, because we were having some uh, technical issues. We were having some of those post-apocalyptic gremlins. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, app I appreciate you using the plural form of the first person. We were having technical difficulties. The truth is I was having technical difficulties. But, well, if uh, you're having difficulties... I'm having difficulties. Yeah, so. yeah. But uh, we appear to have uh, found a way around those problems. So we are we'll, back. We'll, we'll know soon enough. For our fourth uh, episode, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for all your patience. We're going to be talking about some uh, post-apocalyptic TV shows. And as you saw, most of them uh, take place uh, in the 70s. And it's going to be a few different TV shows and one of more modern one. So... Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started into that. Now, uh, speaking of television shows, let's uh, do our In the News section. Uh, so speaking of a post-apocalyptic television, I myself have recently uh, been watching some post-apocalyptic uh, modern television. Like, number one uh, thing that's out there is the Zombieland TV series uh, pilot that appears on the app. Nice look, Scott. The, uh, the Amazon.com uh, television shows. On the plus side, you can see it for free. For now, correct. You know, um, I don't know what it's going to be like in the future. Um, now, going into this, I was like, well, Sci-Fi Channel has been is pretty notorious for being pretty crappy. Now, they've gotten better over the last couple of years. Now, this is Amazon, which has never done television programming before, whereas sci-fi has been doing it for quite a number of years, so giving them that little bit of leeway, I figured, let me check it out. They, they did bring us, they did bring us, you know, uh, the Deathlands movie and, uh, what is it, uh, Zombie Shark Octopus versus Squid Piranha, or one of those movies? Yeah, well that was, uh, was Sci-Fi Channel, so, yeah. uh, now mind you, Zombieland was originally proposed as a television show, not a movie. So they're going back to that format. Now, mind you, that being said, it is a little odd watching it without Woody Harrelson and the characters you're used to. Is the writing fantastic? No. It was it, again. It was okay. Again, it's a pilot. They could possibly get better, but I don't know. Again. Oh, just again to tell everybody, as we're talking about movies and TV shows and books, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So yes. if you are don't want to hear spoilers, well, Stop I'm listening. sorry. Stop listening. Cover your cover your ears, okay? Duck and cover. And uh, <laughs> um, the thing about the show, uh, I said it was. Uh, it just seems like I don't know. There's just some weird things about it so far. Like I don't know. It's like, it's going to be like episode of the week kind of thing. Like, where are we going to go now? And where are we going to try to find people now? It seems like it, it's it's not oh. going to be it's not going to be fabulous. I'll tell you that so, right now. So it's going to be Logan's Run, the TV show, but with zombies. Uh, that, that is quite possible. That is quite possible. <laughs> well, there is one good thing that did come out of that. I got a, one of my new favorite quotes from the Zombieland uh, TV show, which I did write down. I'll post later. I am so close to losing every last bit of my shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's right up there with um, 
Feast. I don't know if you've ever seen Feast. It's a B, sort of a, a film that revels in being a B monster movie. But uh, one of the characters throughout the line, we are uppercase fucked. And I've always thought that really summed up some of the bad situations I've seen. I'm this close to losing every last bit of my shit. Shit. So... <laughs> So that was fantastic. I did, that was a good line. That, that was worth that was worth my thirty minutes of time. You know, so. Oh, it was only a thirty-minute pilot. Thirty-minute pilot. That's it. So. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how it pans out. So, uh, other post-apocalyptic TV that I have watched: uh, the new Defiance uh, show on, on Sci-Fi. Um, it looks nice. They do a good job. Um, it's interesting. They haven't got too much into the details of, of the full collapse. So basically, it's alien invasion. It's a it's 33 years later. Um, I don't know why the alien uh, invasion failed. They haven't got into that yet. Uh, but there's a mix of alien races there now. So it seems like oh look, beauty races. You know, so you can kind of give it that. Uh, the Earth was a bit terraformed, so it wasn't like it was like totally nuked. It was just terraformed. So there's your changed environments. Uh, there's some alien technology. They're always looking for alien technology. So it could be interesting, but again, it seems very formulaic television, you know, so far. So there's this whole there's this whole Romeo and Juliet thing going on. The star-crossed alien fucking? I mean, yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> well, no, there's like, you know, there's, there's the Montagues. There's like the, the two, in this town, there's this whole, you know, power struggle between the two families. And it's like, so the daughter and the son. So it's got that, it's kind of stupid. It's like, wow. whatever. Why do we so, need that? So they're stealing from Shakespeare. They're, they're going. St- <laughs> okay. Yes. So it's going to be, but we'll, we'll see how it pans out. I mean, it's got some, you know, I said it looks cool. You know, uh, we'll see. So, uh, so I've watched that and, um, so that's I think it's fairly interesting. That's it in regards to the post like TV. You know, uh, Oblivion came out. I haven't seen that yet, uh, but I've heard it's I heard it's okay. It's gonna have to be better than okay to survive having you know uh, everybody's space everybody's favorite space alien, Mister Cruise in it. Um, just not a Cruise fan anymore. Every time I see him, I just I can't help but think, oh look, I'm watching a bipolar manic depressive bounce around on the screen. I just can't get over how bug shit crazy the guy is. Uh, so it's really going to have to be awesome to get past the whole Scientology whack job. Yeah, thing. exactly. Well, I mean, he's redeemed himself in a couple movies here and there, but overall it's kind of like, eh. You know, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see We'll see how it pans out. So I haven't seen that yet, and I've came across uh, in the way of gaming, I came across a, a neat little uh, iPhone and Android game, free game. It's a, it's a zombie-related game called Into the Dead. It is a it is an interesting time waster. It is a infinite running game. Basically, it starts off. The picture is you've crashed in a helicopter. Now you're up, and now you're running through zombies, just constantly running through zombies. So it's just left, right. You pick up weapons. You fire. That's it. Nothing to it. It's free. So you'll get about you know five ten minutes of amusement out of that, and then not want to play it again for a week, and then you go to your next time wasting game for five ten minutes, and that's how these games work on on the iPhones typically. You know, it's like waste my time to move on to the next one. 
what you call your kid, basic casual gaming, I guess. Exactly. Oh, I do that uh, a tremendous amount now. So, so that's something I found there. So, that's uh, my portion of in the news. Have you have you come across anything? Uh, um, the closest the closest I can do for uh, you know uh, in the news uh, would be. Let me see if I can make this screen share thing work. Where I'll throw try and throw up the um, the uh, uh, a poster or a promotional thing for the movie The Bay. Okay, uh, The Bay uh, is uh, filmed by Barry Levinson. Um, it's uh, that's the guy who did films like Wag the Dog and um, uh, uh, Toys with Robin Williams, or uh. going all the way back to uh, films like um, Diner with like Steve Gutenberg and um, uh, uh, Mickey Rourke way back. And Tim Daly was in the damn movie. So. Anyway. Oh, and it looks like we are back to our old problems. Looks like we've lost Mr. Glancy again. He was having some internet issues before, so it looks like we have lost him. Uh, for our one viewer up there, I do apologize. We just can't seem to get through these technical issues. Well, it looks like he's back. Wow. Glancy. It just signed me out. It was really hilarious. I was... Yeah. Um, and uh, we're looking at a we're looking at a frozen picture of you. Uh, can you see it? Look at you. Yeah, I can see it. I can it's your see it's your doppelganger, man. What's going I, I, on over there in Seattle? I don't know. Uh, that time it was not the internet connection. It was simply the all of a sudden signed me out of Google Plus. Interesting. Just signed me right out. So okay, I've I've determined now. Technology hates you. Yeah, clearly, clearly, I'm going to be fine after the apocalypse. Yeah. It's all the technology's gone. Yeah. I'll be, you know, rocking with Docket. It'll be great. You know, I'll just go back to flints and stone knives. It's going to be awesome. I was trying to say that The Bay was made by Barry Levinson, who made a lot of films that don't really lend themselves to horror. But um, uh, he was approached to do a film about how fucked up and polluted the Chesapeake Bay is. But he kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, it's not really... There's no documentary that's going to get anyone's attention because there's plenty of good documentaries. So instead, he took everything that was true about the Chesapeake Bay being polluted and dead, and you know, possibly filled with mutants and growth hormones from you know chicken plants. He turned it into a monster movie, and I threw it out there as an apocalypse film because it has a lot of the tropes of an apocalypse movie, uh, a micro apocalypse, much like um, the uh, much like uh, the Crazies, for instance. Yeah. Um, it uh, uh, it's uh, it's all shot. It was shot for two million dollars, very low budget. Um, they shot it on cam on cell phone cameras, where they just had the actors hold the cameras and improvise, and just had people sort of improvise scenes and things in emergency rooms. It's uh, it's kind of like a documentary, a fake documentary assembled from found footage, traffic cams, security huh. cameras. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! You were you were telling me about that uh, the other week. Okay. Yeah, Skype Skype conversations. It's some of the most <laughs> chilling stuff. Is always to me in any kind of apocalypse movie, if they're going to show the apocalypse in motion as it's happening. One of the things that always chills me out is, is the stuff where you show the professionals in their bunker in their office trying to manage the problem. They do that in uh, Threads. 
Yep. Uh, they do that in um, <clears throat> films like, uh, oh, let's see, um, uh, Failsafe, you know, the, uh, the old uh, nuclear uh, Armageddon film with Henry Fonda and uh, you know, Walter Matthau, where they're showing the professionals trying to come up with an answer about for the problem, uh, you know. They do it in the uh, in the old version of the crazies, you know. Yep. Um, so, so in this movie, you get to see everybody getting close to losing uh, every last bit of their shit. Uh, yes, and the really nasty thing about it, and I again, here's your spoiler. It takes some of the tropes of zombie movies. It, it, it does things that are zombie movie like, and what would have even more hilarious if people had reacted to the crisis like it was a zombie movie instead of shooting people in the head. As if they were zombies, when really that's not what the problem was. Um, but yeah, because uh, because media is so saturated, that would be an interesting twist. Because media is so saturated with the zombie this and that, so people are like oh, zombies, you know, just to show that, and but it really isn't. Yeah, that would be yeah. that would be cool. Like they get bitten, so they're like, oh, we have to chop off my arm and burn the stump because I got bit by a zombie. You, you chop off your arm for no reason. Okay, no so reason. so if anybody's listening to this and uh, as a filmmaker, you can't have our idea. <laughs> <laughs> too late. I really Damn wanted. It. Yeah, too late. I th I wish they'd. Uh, never mind. Moving along. Moving along. The thing that's most chilling about the film is the problem that begins horribly killing everybody. By the time the problem is killing them in a way you can see, it's too late. There's no fixing it. And more importantly, by the time people are coming down with it and dying horribly, and, uh, you've already got it. The conditions of what, what the, to decide whether you're going to die next have already passed you. There's no point in being smart from that point forward. It's too late. So you're done. You're done. Yeah, you're done, and it's a die roll whether or not you're going to make it or not. You don't know. You know. Either you've got it or you don't, and you just don't know until you're dying. And then it's too late. It's just, it's really quite grisly. Quite grisly. Nice. I, I give the, I'm going to give the bay, tell people it's worth a look. Absolutely worth a look. Is it available in uh, streaming or Netflix? I, I, or I believe it's available. That, now, that, that poster I put up uh, for mentions that it's available on iTunes. Uh, it's also in video stores right now. So uh, you should be able to also, I don't know if you can get it through Netflix. It's not streaming on Netflix, but. Local video store, go hit them up. You know they'll have it, and certainly Amazon, iTunes, or iTunes seem to have it as well. Or Amazon okay. streaming, so it's around. All right, I'll have to see what I could do to uh, track that down myself. Okay, uh, TV shows. We're going to talk about some uh, TV shows. The first thing we're going to talk about is the trifecta, the hat trick of. Gene Roddenberry's 1970s post-apocalyptic television pilots. Yeah. Which yeah. I all have right here. So. Okay, hold on. I've got to double screen this, right? Okay. I'm gonna put John. I'm gonna put uh, John Saxon on the top of mine. Oh. Uh, the dashing John Saxon here with uh, Planet Earth, Strange New World, Genesis Two. Genesis Two. Yep. Now everybody will see that they're on DVDs. They're actually were available. Uh, it's a little, it's a little interesting little thing they got going. The, the Warner Brothers, uh, the archive collection. Uh, if you go to the WB website, they have like a lot of movies that are not ever been put out in DVD. They're not available. But what they're doing is they're producing them basically on demand. They're like printing them up. They're not. I mean, it's it's no fr it's no frills uh, DVDs. That's it. You know, they're basically 
printing them out as you order them, but they've made available like these types of movies. Um, I've gotten the Thunder of the Barbarian collection from them. They're not remastered. There's nothing special about any of these things. There's no features. Basically, they took the best copies they could find and digitized it. That's it. And Completely no frills. Before I went and got these off the uh, the uh, archive, the Warner archive, I actually owned bootlegs because that was the only place to get them. But, you know, now that these are out, I'm not going to stick with my incredibly badly recorded bootlegs. Oh, I, I think um, I had—I think I had those as bootleg, the crappy DVD bootlegs. That there was this one vendor who used to always come to Gen Con and other conventions. Which now he's not—he doesn't show up anymore because they've kind of banned him because of his, you know, yeah. I guess his business practices of bootlegged and copied movies, you know. Yeah. But it's like, hey, it ain't available anywhere. Who's yeah. he hurting? He's not taking yeah. anything out of anybody's pockets. But anyway. All right, so we're going to talk about them, because they are, these are like three post-apocalyptic television shows that Gene Roddenberry uh, uh, tried to get on the air in the 70s. Like, the first one was, I think it was like 73, 74, 75 is, I think, how they came out, if I remember uh, correctly. Like, Strange New World was 75... And yeah, they're all yeah. So they're all yeah. And that was the first one, Strange New World. So it was like seventy five, maybe seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. No, no, no. Sure. It's, it's it's the other way around. And I, I don't want to pull up IMDb and slow us down just yet. But I wanted to say that, yeah, it, it's more like uh, it's more like seventy three, seventy four, seventy five. And that and the first one is Genesis two with the non John Saxon Dylan Hunt. Okay. It's, it's Alex Cord is the first one. Yep, you're right. Uh, it's, se it's 73 for Genesis 2, 74 for Planet Earth, 75 for Strange New World. Okay. Yeah. All right, now, but I am going to start with, uh, say, let's start talking about, let me pull this up here. Let's start about Strange New World. Now, Strange New World uh, started off with, uh, there was, it's uh, this thing like there's a meteor or a comet coming through, and there was this, there was this space station that was up where this organization called PAX was experimenting with long-term cryogenics, uh, cryogenics for like you know space travel and things like that. So uh, in fact, there's there's the image of the space shuttle and space station that you see briefly at the beginning of the show, which okay. looked pretty good. The whole opening credits was space station and cryo sleep cryo sleep capsules, but that disappears from the story very quickly. Oh yeah. So what happened was uh, they uh, the PAX organization you know changed the trajectory of the of the of the station and had to go to uh, a long term orbit and come back to Earth and it came back like uh, I didn't take notes on that one Strange New World I think it was I think it was a was it close what was it it was 180 years it, it took 180 years for it to come back so it's 180 years later so they come back they land on Earth and then they're driving around in some you have a picture. Of their, of their of their vehicle. Um, I, I'm I'm working on it. They they get a okay. cool post-apocalyptic vehicle. Yeah. So they have they have a vehicle that they're driving around in, trying to find Pax because apparently Pax had uh, taken you know their family and other people and put them into underground bunkers with cryo cryo sleep and they're questing to find these people. Now in that vehicle actually because actually they're looking for the uh, I believe it, I think it's I think the vehicle. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like I think the vehicle said nineteen. There was a there was like actually paper calendar in there that said uh, just like nineteen ninety three is when uh, they went into space and came back. So 
Now it looks like we've uh, lost Mr. Glancy again, but so I'll wait till he comes back. But yeah, it took place in 1993. Now they're going around, keep it simple. They find a, a new city, this city that kind of pulls them in, and it's got a mixture of uh, you know high tech. You know, there's like high tech. They, they dress very Roman. It's very 70s, very Gene Roddenberry how they did all that. It's like that mixture of high low technology you know like uh, you know they were just like Romans so uh, it was interesting there there's a lot of med it was like high-tech medicine and they, they go through this entire episode uh, well at least the part of the first half of the episode now after the after that well we've uh, dropped mr. Glancy he's now dropped off hopefully he'll be back here in just a minute now uh, they go through the first half of the episode in this in this new city and after they do that they come back uh, to the second half of the ep of the episode, and it seemed like it was totally disjointed. It was like we go from yes, we're here with these people, and we're gonna go find Pax. Then it's like uh, okay, now we're at the second half of it when it's like ten months later, they haven't found what they're looking for yet because they definitely wanted to make this for a long term uh, TV series. So they were definitely looking to. I do multiple episodes, so it seems like they mash the two ideas together instead of just getting the launch. Because it seems like there's a whole lot missing in the middle. I said ten months later. Well, what happened in those ten months that you still haven't found anything yet? So basically, they come across this old uh, zoo, and uh, basically the people there are there's two p inside people and outside people, and there's animals there. So you get the outside primitives. Who are you know just hunting, fighting for you know trying to get food, and you get the people inside who are actually they, they did this interesting thing where which they've done in Gam World I see which is very interesting, very Gam World where the people are descendants of the original like uh, like zookeepers or like you know park rangers are, are there. So Mr. Glancy's back. Hello, Mr. Glancy. I was uh, fuck you, Internet. Fuck you. All right. Let's well, just get I, that out of the way first of all. Okay. Yeah, maybe you need to call Comcast, but uh, I think I need to send Comcast a letter bomb. So uh, basically, I was just explaining to them how they how they got there uh, to the first city, and there was a lot of you know high medical technology. They dressed like you know in primitive Roman clothes, and they wanted them to stay. So I mean, I did, yeah, there's there, there's the there's the go buggy. I just want to throw the go buggy out because you know you're nowhere if you're not driving around in a giant clunky post-apocalyptic vehicle yeah it's definitely some kind of with those four wheels it looks like it maybe was put on the chassis of a you know maybe like a lav uh, 25 or something oh, I don't, like that i don't even think i don't even think it's that big i honestly think that that is a that that while that is a practical effect um that that thing is actually much 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 smaller that you couldn't get the people in it i mean i, I don't think that it's big enough to uh, I don't really, because uh, I remember when I watched it, there's very few shots of them nearing it. They show them inside it. They show it driving around, and then when it's time to get out, they're just out of it. They don't, there's no transition. There's no hatch. No getting in and out, yeah. You know, they're just like, a, whoops, it's far away, so you can't tell how small it is. I think that's actually like a one-person, four-wheel, like, dune buggy thing or something. Oh, yes. You know, in the 70s, they did have those little, okay, well, if we could remember... Do we all remember the Banana Splits show? Do we? Oh the Banana Splits show? Yes. Okay, I, was gonna, 
I was going <laughs> to reference Silent Running because Bruce Dern is is rolling around in one of those in his spaceship. But no, if no. You, if you want to go banana splits, okay, that's. I'm going banana splits here. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, something, something, goober and snork or something like that. Anyway, uh, they're running around these little seventies. <laughs> like four wheeled on each side, uh, little buggies that like two people could sit in. So yeah, it might have, it might very well be built on that chassis of the little banana splits go buggies. So and if I remember correctly, those those things were like uh, they were like independently, the the wheels were independent. So one set would roll forward, another set would roll backwards. So yeah. you could just pivot in place and all. Yeah, you know. I think that's what that is with a with a with a shell. A miniature shell over it. I don't think that's. A I I, th I think you're right. Yeah. So I was talking about that. Basically, you know, they're at the thing. Uh, I didn't get to too much detail about you know about the city because there's a you know I don't want to give too much away. But there are some interesting happenings. You know, because these are the people from the past and the and you know, they said they finally left the place after uh, you know they fucked it up and you know they. Oh had yeah, to leave. they show up at paradise and then they 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 throw a hand grenade in the middle of paradise. Yeah, and then they leave. And they leave. I mean, which is, <laughs> which, which frankly sounds like a group of player characters again. You know, you can go to interesting places and meet new people yeah. and, and kill them and destroy their civilization. Yeah. Coming in hot, but you know, <laughs> but uh, they, um, I mean, I was telling them how basically the second half of the episode, 10 months later, what? It's like, yeah. what happened in these 10 months? Because. Um, it was definitely meant to be a long-term program, and it seems like they mashed two episodes together yeah. for this, and it's, there's no continuity. All of a sudden, they're 10 months later, and they're still driving around looking for the pack station, and they, they did a good... Well, at least they showed them, like, their clothes is a bit worn, worn out, and, you know, at least they, they, they gave it some touches. The show yeah. I tried to show was 10 months later, and I said that they came upon a zoo, and... There's people on the outside hunting for food. They were very, they were primitives, you know. Then the people inside were primitives as well, but they were descendants of the park rangers. And it's very Gamma World-ish because, you know, these guys are, you know, oh, we must protect the animals. And the basically the ranger guide is basically yeah. their Bible, and they're following the word of that, you know. Yeah, the employment manual for the or the parks rangers, you know, service manual is now their holy book. Exactly. It's it's no e plebnista, but it's it's still pretty good, you know. Uh, taking the words of the ancients just a little too far. You know? Yeah. So it's it's good like that because it, it says very gamoral in that sense. Where you know you've I've encountered that kind of stuff where it's like they're descendants of uh, a particular the, the tribe. So it's interesting in that respect. So uh, yeah, I mean the, that, the, that, the, the tribe is made up of members of a service industry. You know, like Gamma World. There's a tribe of garbage men or something. You know, who well, there might be rituals <laughs> based around going and picking up waste or something. You know, I, I think I need to start a Gamma campaign just for that. Just for that alone. All right. Yeah, the cryptic alliance of the union. Union, Union Local 425 trash, um, you know. <laughs> That's it. They call them, we are the 425s. Yeah. <laughs> what? So that, yeah. Was, that, was, that was Strange New World. Uh, that was one of them. So that didn't work. So he goes, hey, I'm going to try another one. Let's try this again. So, oh, and the, oh, the one last thing I got to say about the packs that does appear in Strange New World is very, very Morrow Project-like. To me, because it's oh, yeah. his or the whole it's his looking looking for you know Pax Prime or yeah. whatever they call they're it. Looking for, they're looking for Prime Base because Pax basically um, 
is, okay, here's this organization. We're preparing for the end of the world. We put everybody in cryo sleep in our big base night, and, and these people come back. They wake up out of their bolt hole, and, hey, we got to go find Prime Base and activate everything and rebuild the world. It's very Morrow Project. That's yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, but then we move on to Genesis 2, okay? Yep. Uh, we're going to, Genesis 2 and Planet Earth, we'll kind of go through those a little bit quickly so we can talk more about survivors. Now, uh, Genesis 2 is yet another thing. PAX is still involved uh, with this. Basically, it is, um, there's a NASA underground lab at the, uh, in the Carlsbad Caverns in 1974. And having okay. visited Carlsbad in the 80s, I can confirm that there is indeed a giant underground lab there. So, that part they got right. Okay, so uh, it's his lab, and uh, basically the whole world is, uh, you know, because uh, it's, you know, it's the future. It's 1979, you know. Well, it's, so. the, it's, it's 1979, which is the future for when this was made, which is like 73. It's 74, uh, 1974, yeah. so in five years, wow, did we advance in technology. It's kind of it's like how, if uh, anybody's familiar with the Gary Anderson show UFO, um, oh, yeah, we're the 80s. Everyone's wearing narrow jackets. And, and uh, purple wig. But, like, the show was, like, 1970, and in the credits they're flashing, 1980, 1980. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, looking back, the future ain't what it used to be. No. Um, but, so, uh, so, but, but, but what happened was, in the future, they connected... Uh, they, they got these uh, nuclear drilling devices. Up. Okay, they got these nuclear drilling devices, and they built this whole sh sub shuttle system that connected the entire world. And like these things were these shuttles that you can see here in the picture. Uh, from what I can see in the episode, you know, they could basically, you know, they were showing it that it was going, you know, over 700 miles per hour, and it was like 40 percent. So they use this to travel throughout the world. So it's their MacGuffin, so they can get around the world without having to deal with all that boring mutants and radiation on the surface. They just uh, take those subway. <laughs> yeah. They're, so you know, are they are they hopping turnstiles too? But uh, <laughs> so it's so it's this whole thing, and you know it's based you know with the continental defense, and so it's got all, they build this whole background up of what it is, and then uh, an earthquake uh, an earthquake happens and caves in. Uh, the the lab and in the lab they were doing this thing called the gamma mean gamma mean project, uh, which they're using xenome gas to uh, practice. Uh, they're trying to you know, perfect again NASA laboratory deep space cryo cryo sleep. So again the similarities between the two. So the guy gets trapped. Who is uh, who is the character's name? Uh, uh, Alex Cord. It's Dylan Hunt, which Dylan is a Hunt. character name that they will then recycle for Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Another program about a guy who gets slowed, gets Rip Van Winkled and wakes up in the future that is more primitive than the past, except in uh, Andromeda, of course, it's a galactic apocalypse, like something yeah. out of uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. But okay. in this, he, he Rip Van Winkles uh, into the future. Uh, 154 years later, 2133, uh, he wake, you know, he's found by the people who are occupying the the lab now, uh, the descendants of Pax, you know, and uh, just to move it forward, you know, he winds up escaping because there's uh, this organization of mutants. They're called mutants, and the only state it's called the Terranians, not unlike the yeah. Terrakians, but yeah. uh, the Terranians. Yeah, well, um, let's let's point out that you know, as as Terranians go, they got what's her name, uh, Hartley. Um, 
yes. it's uh, Marriott Hartley there, and I've, there's a picture of Marriott Hartley with her, you know, phallic pain wand. We'll get to that in a second. Uh. Um, so when Marriott Hartley, you know, shows up with her phallic pain wand, you know, you understand why a fellow might be duped. Oh yeah, into you know, following into believing her. her. Yeah. So the mutants are, you know, superior than humans because they have like two hearts and this and that. And the only outward appearance that makes them a mutant is they have two belly buttons. Did you find a picture of the two belly buttons? I, I do, in fact, have a picture here of Marriott Hartley with her two belly buttons wearing her her space-age bikini. It's not a great shot, but let's go ahead and put this one up right here. And go to screen share, and there is Marriott Hartley with the two belly buttons, which you can barely see in the picture. But apparently because she's a mutant, she gets two belly buttons. That's how we... Again, that's why she has two umbilical cords... I don't know. Well, that's why they're mutants, Scott. Okay. That's why they're mutants. <laughs> now, and then, of course, you know the the clothes that uh, uh, they wear packs. They're basically wearing moo-moos. and um... yeah. In, in the future, in the future, packs. The packs guys wear these incredibly shitty moo-moos with medallions. Remember the medallions around <laughs> yes. their necks? Everyone's got a necklace with this like seventies astrological medallion that's roughly the size of Flava Flav's clock. I mean, it's like, this is the future I get? A bunch of guys wearing moo-moos with swinger medallions? No wonder Alex Cord, you know, wants to escape from Pax as soon as he wakes up, you know? So he escapes, he goes to them, uh, you know, because, I mean, they give him a history of, like, why Pax is there and so on and so forth. So they escape to go to Terrania, which is their home, and guys, a picture what, of that up lovely, there. Lovely, lovely glass or matte painting there of terrible, terrible Terrania filled with terrible Terrania mutants. And on the, and the way there, they do they do drop a little hint of what else is going on around the world. Like, they're going there, and... Um, because they were near Phoenix, Arizona, and he's like, well, what's, what about Phoenix? They're like, oh, no, Phoenix is a fortress ruled by warlords. I'm like, great! Why are we not seeing the we fortress of the, Phoenix? We don't, we don't have the budget for that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, oh, there's all kinds of exciting shit happening just off screen, but we don't. <laughs> but we can't show you that because we don't have the money. <laughs> yeah. Wait till so the want... series gets picked up, then you'll get to see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, just to fast forward through for this, they they go to Terrania. They wind up they're tricking them, you know. Uh, now let's just well, well, we will talk a little bit about the Terranians a little bit. They have these things called the pain wands, pleasure and pain. They think humans are you know beneath them, and they use them for slaves. And they use this pain stick. It looks like a giant. Um, yeah, it looks like just what you think. Exactly, just what you think. No need to elaborate. And yeah. um, uh, but the thing is, it's like their outfits. It's basically they're wearing. Capes, and it looks like they're wearing thongs that are pulled all the way up over their shoulders. Yeah, I'm and trying capes. to. I am trying to find an image of that because oh, I, please, I, I, please I, do. I, there's all right. There's one image over here that is not great, but it shows. Uh, it shows. Okay, we'll try this. It shows the uh, Alex Cord and Marriott Hartley walking through the Terranian city, which is obviously some college campus. And as you can see, there's this guy with a white guy afro on the left-hand side of the picture with, you know, his bare legs showing and his little, you know, guy diaper and a cape. <laughs> and he's saluting Marriott Hartley with his dildo of death. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much the uniform in Terrania is, uh, yeah, uh, uh, man diapers, capes, 
go-go boots and um, yeah, basically, basically, basically Barbarella. Okay, but <laughs> oh god, yeah, that's not a bad. Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's yeah, it's same costume design by Barbarella. It's not good. <laughs> not good. So, so I mean, all kinds of shenanigans happen there, and then and then ends. So we're not going to give too many spoilers, but. Again, 1970s, interesting. Now, after Genesis 2, again, that didn't work. So he goes, hey, I'm going to try another one. So he tries a third one called Planet Earth. Now, with John Saxon, who who doesn't like a handsome man? So, but, <laughs> um, now, this, re it's basically, it's not really, a, it's, it seems like it's a continuation, but it's more like a reboot, because... The uh, we lost Mr. Glancy again. Now it's more of a reboot because they glaze over the whole thing of him waking up, him getting there, and they just give you a little background on what happened. So basically, he's trying to restart again. But basically, what happens is they restart it. Uh, like everything's going on, he's been there for months, and uh, whereas before they were in this dark underground cave, now they are. Uh, Pax is more of like a dystopia, you know, it looks, you know, it looks like, it kind of looks like Star Trek, you know, settings, you know, it's this dystopia, they're all for peace, um, they got the outside, 70s outside buildings uh, that you would typically see, in like, in a, like, like a Logan's Run or something like that. So, uh, now the thing is, what happens with uh, that is, um, they're more organized, they're, they're traveling throughout the country, and when they're doing that, uh, they, you know, he's ahead of the, you know, uh, Hunt is ahead of these um, uh, search teams, and they're going around the country trying to trying to find people, trying to pick things up. Now, the interesting thing is, the uniforms that they're wearing are very much a precursor of Star Trek: The Next Generation uniforms. It's like these ugly-looking. Uh, Unit, unitards that, you know, not unitards, but like these uniforms that they're wearing, all one-piece suits, and they have communicators that they talk. It's not in the handheld. It's a little on-the-chest communicator thing. So it's just like he went, when he came to, when he was writing Next Generation, he goes, hey, you know what? I liked what's on planet Earth. I like those ugly uniforms that are one-piece and communicators on the chest. Hello, Mr. Glancy. Now, um... Your, your internet really sucks. but uh, Yeah, it really is. Uh, the, nothing has happened all day with the internet. It's gone down three times. Nice. Now, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, I've been giving the background to Planet Earth, uh, saying that it's not really... It seems like it's a continuation, but it's really more of a reboot than anything else. Yeah. Like, like yeah, you want to start over. And I told them this, what Hunt does and the precursor to Star Trek The Next Generation uniforms and communicators. Uh, you know what I got to throw out here? Here, let's go. Let's throw this image out uh, onto the screen here. This is. Um, oh, hold on a second. This is um, the team. There's uh, this one actually has something where it's uh, uh, you know he has a team of like-minded you know uh, helpers. Uh, the main one I want to point out, of course, is in the back there wearing a terrible like I don't know glam rock wig is Ted Cassidy, who played Lurch on The Addams Family, who uh, plays, who, who's in actually both uh, Planet Earth and Genesis 2, playing the same char character, 
the white, white Comanche. The white Comanche the, warrior. White Comanche warrior, whatever the hell that means. We don't even really know what that means. So everybody so now everybody saw those horrible uniforms. Yeah, that's where that's that's where the next generation uniforms came from, right there, nineteen seventy five yeah. Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. He was already planning to fuck up the uniforms, even back then. <laughs> Exactly. So basically, this is just, uh, this is this episode. It's like episode of the week. It's like what kind of shenanigans can we get into? Um, again, it plays off just like that. Not not as a pilot. It's like you know they're going through the tunnels and they're trying to find people. Uh, the interesting thing about it is, uh, it starts off with them. They encounter this group of mutants called the Kriegs. Ah, the Kriegs. Let's go ahead and pull up our Krieg photo. Oh, that's a terribly small Krieg photo. I can do better than that. Hold on a second. Now, the Kriegs, also, they also have terrible uniforms as well. They wear all purple. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know they're the bad guys, is that they're in these fascist military uniforms, but they're, they're purple. So they're, they're not nearly as intimidating as they could be, but you'll, you know, but however, you look at this guy, and he's got the big, you know, he's got a nice scar, and uh, he's got some... Uh, He's got this big lumpy. Oh, is that a proto Klingon forehead there in front of us? It, I it, do believe it is. It may be. It also he looks. He all. They also with their uniforms and their look. They definitely like you had brought up. They look like the Gamma World mutants, the Surfs. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they. they I, I think the folks whoever was doing the illos on Gamma World may have uh, may have tapped into that image because it was militaristic mutants, and then they had the big bumpy central ridge uh, of their head. So, uh, so they encounter these guys. These guys want technology. and uh, But only for war. That's they're, why they're called the Kriegs, and uh, you know, Pax only wants, only wants uh, technology peace. for peace. For yes, peace. In and fact, I, here you go, Jared. I've oh. actually got, there's, there's your surf. So, surprisingly, great... very yeah. similar. Very similar to the Kriegs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, and, and what was interesting was, you know, when they encountered them, they were driving around in cars, and of course, they're all like, of course, the people from the future, oh, what are these? And he's like, these are cars. There used to be millions of them on the road. That whole, like, like they're the buffalo. Like, yeah, exactly. Driving. There were once herds of them <laughs> roaming the roaming the feet, roaming the earth. But um, <laughs> but was it, what I found interesting was that they were running on uh, they're running on uh, wood, gas. Wood, wood gas fuel system. So that's pretty innovative, and it's a real thing. We I, I you actually saw that in if you ever watched the first season of the Colony on television, they build a wood gas fuel system to, to give them to run a generator. So yeah. it's a it's a real thing. So it's kind of it was interesting that they actually threw that in there. So um, that's the first time oh. a fuel system, and then it's and it's turned up. It's turned up in other post-apocalypse things since then. But it, I wouldn't have never heard of it if it wasn't for Gene Roddenberry. So kudos to you, Gene. Yeah. So and then the episode just it just gets into the episode like the encounter Amazons and the Battle of the Creek. So it's it gets very formulaic. But again, they're interesting. Oh, well, let, let's let's just throw out how total totally Gene Roddenberry it is, where you know the the Republic of Ruth or whatever it's called, um, you know, is the, Amazons women rule? <laughs> is the women women's lib or women's lib gone mad? I think is actually his journal entry as he's talking about it. And um, sure enough, before you can say uh, Jack Robinson, they've they've taken 
they've taken um, uh, our hero's shirt off and have decided oh, to sell him. <laughs> yeah, the first thing they do is take off take off his shirt and sell him at auction. You know, and the price goes way up. And uh, yes, he's he he has to outwit these 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 dirty feminists. Uh, yes, yeah, very Gene very Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and say that this is, and, and of course, how does he outwit them? By he outsexes one of them. That that's the even better. Where he does the whole thing about. How how uh, how manly man he is, and and they fall for his manly madness, and it's just like wow. It's, it's so it's so seventies. It's so seventies. Yeah. 70s. yeah. And, it's, uh, uh, it's extra special. And uh, and of course, what's what my favorite what my favorite part of this was after everything, all the shenanigans happened. They're back at Pack Space, and um, the it's closing and the closing and the closing uh, monologue that's going on. They do say at the end, an Earth reborn, a thousand new adventures, this has been one of them. Yeah. I'm like, like really? Come on. <laughs> we swear that this isn't a one-off. We're going we're gonna to get picked up. I just know it. Exactly. <laughs> this has been one of them. So, yeah, so of course, all the whole thing is they're trying to be, again, very Gene Roddenberry, you know, being very, you know, oh, we're going to rebuild the world, we're going to make things nice again, you know, very, you know, that idealistic thing, again, very Gene Roddenberry. As, long as, like, guys, as long as guys are in charge and women know their place, we're going to rebuild the world. Yeah, well, but all, these, all the shows are like that, and of course, you know, they're trying to bring the world back and restore it, and of course, I say, and of course, let's see if we remember the quote, oh, you tell me the movie it's from, Scott. Alright, go ahead, quiz Rest- time. Restore it? Why? I like death. I like the misery. I like this world. <laughs> oh, oh, you're killing me. Um, no, I haven't got a clue. I'm, I, I know it's familiar. Uh, I, I, no, I don't remember. Do think, of, remember. think of a 1980s kickboxing action star. I'm sorry. This is a Jean-Claude Van Damme flick? Yes. Android? Cyborg. Cyborg. Oh God, Cyborg. Yeah, that's full of poop. You know, I'm sorry, sir. I have never seen Cyborg all the way through. There have been a couple of there have been a couple of attempts. Oh, uh, <laughs> just, that's, that's a started... that, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. I like that movie. Uh, <laughs> actually, he I actually follow him on Facebook. He's actually released. Um, a director's cut of it, which you know, he found uh, all the cutting room floor like footage of stuff that he wanted to make the movie, and he's actually restored stuff and digitized it, and he's been showing that with a couple other movies around the country, and they're going to be releasing it. So I'm curious to see this cut, you know, that he's because it's like that's not what I wanted, and you know, so he's put it cobbled it back together. So we'll see what happens. It's not always an improvement when the director puts in everything he wanted to remove. I I cite to the extended cut of. 1941, or perhaps uh, the Apocalypse Now extended version, you know. Well, there there are some decent stuff in the Apocalypse Now extended version. Now, there's some stuff that did not need to be there, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a couple of bits where it looks like they just left the camera running and whoever wandered in front of it, that's <laughs> what they got that day. Yeah. Um, but even though it has the word Apocalypse in the title, it is not an apocalyptic movie. So let us move on to the other side of the ocean where shamefully, shamefully, they always seem to know how to do it better than we do. And we're going to we are talking about here, people, survivors. 
1975, put to, put together by the fabulous Terry Nation. That's right. Who has written such classic? You know, he's written a lot of Doctor Who's, Blake Seven. Oh, uh, Blake was, Seven. That's 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 where the that is the bleakest science fiction out there. I mean, okay, we all know they're wearing cellophane. We all know it's 70s budget. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> but the the writing on that show was the grimmest. It was it was very good. So this was this was originally created by Terry Nation. Um, it went on for three seasons. Now Survivors in a nutshell. Okay, it starts off episode one. Basically, there is a global pandemic that breaks out. Okay, uh, something's released at a hardly in a lab, which uh, me and Scott have theorized that it might have been somewhere in Russia. Uh, even though you see a gentleman of Asian descent, but uh, what was your theory on who he was? Uh, well, more... you know, I, I I still thought that even though he was a, the, the guy handling the the guy handling the the Erlenmeyer flask that drops into the camera at the beginning of every episode with this resounding whoops apocalypse, uh, <laughs> they drop it on the floor. Um, the very fact that his first stop uh, is Moscow uh, sort of told me that this was probably. Just a, a Soviet of Asian descent, like uh, you know, perhaps. Oh, there's a problem with the lab. You come back to Moscow and explain what happened. Sure, <coughs> we <laughs> we took care of it. <laughs> there's nothing to worry about, blammo. And besides, if the one group of people who were really into bio warfare uh, experiments in the 70s was the Soviets, um, they have a huge history of, uh, of bio warfare experiments, and there's a uh, there's a Kazakh gentleman named Ken Alabak uh, who's uh, who defected to the uh, to to America uh, sometime in the 90s. He was the number two guy at Biopreparat, which was the Soviet bioweapons division, and he came back with all kinds of horrible stories about the stuff the Soviets were cooking up in the 70s. Um, so the idea that it was a Soviet lab works for me. So, anyways, accident behind the Iron Curtain, Martin. but the problem doesn't stay there very long. Nope, it spreads throughout the world. Uh, panda is like a super flu that breaks out. So again, 1975, he was definitely uh, you know uh, a little bit ahead of the curve because you no, know, now the whole thing with global pandemics and stuff has been oh. very topical the last 10, 15 years. But he was talking about this in 1975. So no, not, not to mention he's ahead of the curve on Stephen King's super flu from you know Captain Trips from you know, the uh, the 19 what 79 uh, the Stand. You know, yeah. so Terry Nation's even out in front of King on that one. So. You know, all, all props and chops to uh, to Terry Nation on this. Exactly. So, uh, so we have that, and it's a very interesting, uh, you know, facts that I've that I've learned uh, from watching because uh, I've because as I've went through, I've watched probably the first se there's three season people, and it's not just a uh, English. I originally had just the English versions of it because I have a multi-region player, but they did come out with it uh, an American version, so you're able actually to. Uh, to, stick, to get get your hands on it uh, for American DVD players, probably because of the 2008 series that came out, so they released the original in America. So, uh, from what I've assessed from it, they they figured that they say like uh, one in five thousand people survived uh, this this plague. It was a massive plague. So they figured that at one point they said that there's maybe ten thousand people left in Britain. And I did some research and I looked up that uh, based on the population of Britain in 1975. Uh, one in five thousand survivors would indeed be around ten thousand. So they actually did. Sounds like they did their numbers uh, yeah. a little bit. 
So, uh, so the pandemic breaks out, and it focuses on the way the show is originally focuses on uh, one character, uh, Abby Grant. And it starts off with her and her leaving, and then, then it starts picking up other characters here and there. Uh, you got um, Greg. Uh, Greg, and you have, let me see, some of the characters. You, know, you got Greg, you got. Um, uh, well, Tom Price, the, uh, the bum. Oh yeah, the, the the bum that you want to hate. Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's 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 easy to hate Tom Price in the original series because he's he's the guy who's useless. Who's only the only thing he has is he just was immune. Yeah. So you know uh, who was it? It was Greg. Uh, he survived. And he proceeds to be a total waste of space. And Jenny. Uh, some there's a few main characters that, that go through the show. So as I go through the show, it's it's. Initially, the first season is all about her, you know, traveling around, um, and it's kind of interesting to be. It, 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 he really talks about the whole. He really starts a series off talking about everything because the character Abby's reflecting on uh, before it even happens. Like, um, you know, if all fact, things broke in, down, at in fact, there's Greg oh, in the there, middle. There, yep, Abby, uh, Abby Grant in the front with her short, and uh, Jenny in the back. And Abby Grant was also the villain from Terry Nation's. Um, uh, Blake Seven. Yes, you know, she was the uh, she was the uh, long running villain on that show. But anyway, you're so, so uh, she reflects on you know what if everything she was like be before this happens right when it's at the beginning. What if it because things started failing, and uh, she's like, what if everything broke down at the same time? You know, uh, what about the infrastructure? So they're reflecting on this while this is going on, and then things really uh, break down. You know, now. Other things they talk about. They really do talk about the, what happens when things break down because they meet other characters. They meet she like me at one point. They meet this grad because throughout the entire first episode, she's looking for a first series. She is looking for her kid. You know, eventually they do settle down, but she's always looking for her kid because she thinks he might still be alive. And that's so that's her that's her whole thing. Uh, they encounter this groundkeeper's early, uh, like at, at, their, at his school early on, talking about we got to rebuild. You know. Cause What's going to happen? Because they they really do they really do delve deep into what's going to happen. Okay, yeah, we could scavenge for a while, but eventually it's going to run out. What about these new generations growing up? They don't know how to fix anything. We have to relearn everything. These kids they don't know how to fix things. How it's going to be? Uh, how to how to how to rebuild anything? You know. Uh, the other and the other factor that, that becomes sort of a plot point in one of the later episodes is um, the one guy I was talking about. Everybody's got to get pregnant right away. Yeah, because uh, otherwise, you know, that ten thousand people is going to be winnowed down to five. Oh yeah, uh, with no replacements, and the gene pool is going to shrink and shrink and shrink until you know we're all going to have six-headed kids, uh, you know, all of them with with hemophilia. Um, and the idea that that a woman's choice, uh, a woman's choice to choose, might go out the window in the face of sort of species demands we've got to get the population back up. Um, was kind of was, was the plot of one of the episodes. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's a, pro, a prominent thing. And also throughout it is... Cause also, cause, because also, you're not just losing... You, you, you had one in 5,000 survive, and that continues to dwindle, dwindle down because, again, they talk about all... Because you have people killing each other off for stuff. You have things like... We had a whole community of people die because they got sick from fish because of, that they because there was mercury poisoning 
in the water, in the river, from the factories that were no longer functioning, and they all died. Like, uh, like a small group of people died from from eating fish. Yep. And it, it all the all this shit. It's all about things. How we're, I mean, they really do address how things broke well, down, how everything's all fucked up. One of the one of the biggest crises I remember in the first season after they find that um, they find that uh, manor house to live in. They yep. get all these supplies. They get all stocked in for the winter. They scavenge, scavenge, scavenge. And they get all the bags of uh, flour they can find. They all lock it up tight in the basement of the manor house. And then they have this thing where it rains and rains and rains. And because nobody cleaned the gutters on the on the house, the basement floods. And, and they lose everything, everything they stocked in. Gone. And now they're going to starve. Now and now they got to run around like chickens with their heads cut off and fix this problem. And and. As a you know, as a post-apocalyptic survival thing, uh, the sur survivors really did a good job in doing nuts and bolts about how you're going to get by. It was not about <coughs> character drama where people are going to stand around and have to argue with each other about how they don't like each other and your way of giving orders, you know, makes my you know makes my Johnson small. No bullshit about that. People just get on with doing what they have to do. Oh yeah, and, and the advent and the adventure is always the situation they're in, not necessarily the conflict between the characters. There is some conflict. There's plenty of conflict. Oh, there's plenty of conflict, especially with between Greg and Abby, because there's one episode where she's kind of because they form their own community, and she kind of control. I mean, she's the figurehead. She's in, in control, and like Greg. You know, was picked up the role as a second commander. In one episode, he's like, "Listen, Abby, you're the figurehead, but I'm the manager. I have to do the dirty work. I have to do everything." You know, so yeah, you have she, that conflict. You know, she can do the inspirational speeches and she can make the decisions, but implementing the decision it was all yeah, great. That, yeah, um, one of the things, and of course, they they cover everything right down to you know, uh, law and order. I mean, there's the episode where. A this, member of the community turns up dead, raped and murdered, and they have to do an investigation. They have to become the cops. They have to have a trial. They have to decide how to mete out justice. And, boy, everything that can go wrong with that equation does go wrong. I won't yep. say how, but it's it's screwed up. They do the best they can, and the endings are not yeah, and the endings are not good. Yeah, so it's very it's, it's very grim. They really touch on a lot of the on a, on a lot of these things, and you have all kinds of problems because you have like a, a former politician forming a group saying, "Oh yes, we've we're, martial law is declared, so now we're representatives of the government." So you have all these kind of you know you know yahoos trying to do all this stuff. I, yeah. I like the guy who was the British Lord. He yes. was like the the third son of the British Lord who, because he wasn't going to inherit the land. Uh, and they didn't like him for politics. He went in the army, so he learns all these military skills. The plague happens. He comes back from the British Army of the Rhine, I guess. He gets back from you know NATO, goes back to his family estate, and is like, "Well, I guess I'm the Lord, like a medieval Lord." And he starts trying to run his his estate like it's the good old days, you know. And he's got you know he's not really a bad guy at all. But the very fact that he takes this attitude that, you know, my ancestral land and it's my stuff and I'm the Lord and you guys have to do what I say causes a revolt, you know? Yes. And their community falls into this protracted sort of guerrilla war where all the people who've come to his estate for shelter uh, just won't put up with his arrogance. And now they've got this, literally, this, this sort of war going on. Um, 
Yeah, that it was, was uh, Garland. Jimmy Garland was his name. Yeah. Garland's and, War was the episode. Yeah, and that was uh, that was actually a really interesting story because, frankly, on one level, I mean, the one thing about the British, I'll tell you, when they when they're doing their their heavies, very rarely are they one hundred percent. You know, you you don't understand them at all. Um, even uh, even the, the the opposition in these stories are very relatable. You know, they're not just I don't know guys with disco wigs and crazy boots and pain dildos, you know? Yeah. The Turanians, they, they're just 100% evil. Like the Kriegs, they're just 100% evil. Everybody that they deal with in this is really believable and they have good motivations and, uh, you know, it worked. Yeah, it was a very, I mean, it was, I mean, not all, I mean, not all those episodes were winners, uh, but they did very well. I mean, a lot of the ones Terry Nation wrote were good. But even, uh, who, you know, who started doing some of the episodes was the, the guy who played Greg. Uh, Ian McCullen, he started writing a lot of the episodes. Yeah, um, and some of them were really good. And uh, uh, the uh, they they do a great job dealing with you know sort of dialing England back to a pre-industrial level with, with the artifacts of the old civilization around. But essentially, they're back to a, you know pre-industrial levels. There's a there's a whole bit with the do you remember the episode with the drug dealers? Uh huh. There's this whole thing about oh my god they're they're making. They're making drugs. They're making, you know, morphine or heroin or whatever it was, and they must be bad guys. But once you get inside the drug dealer's compound, you realize they're like, we've got to make drugs like this or there's not going to be surgery, you know. There's not going to be pain relief, you know. We're, you know we, we've got to make these drugs. And to finance our operation to discover, rediscover pharmaceuticals and rediscover things, they're selling the heroin and the morphine, or the morphine-based drugs, they're selling it to finance the operation so that, you know, yes, we're drug dealers, but if we don't finance the operation, we'll never have the money to develop the other drugs that we're making. Um, and I just yeah, thought they, that was really, you, 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 you go with one idea and then like, zip, they did it, you know, they always did a good job of flipping the story on you. Oh, yeah, they, they definitely touched on all those subjects, you know, because some of the characters, like, you know, the, the Abby character was very idealistic, you know, which, not, which was not very realistic. But they touch about that. They touch about, you know, all the, like you said, all the problems, all the things they got to do. You have such a cast of characters. Um, and then anything that could go wrong could, because, like, they're, ha like, again, spoilers, people, there's one part. They, they're all set up. They're going good. And a simple thing happens that, would probably not be that bad in our society is there's a house fire. Yeah. yeah. And, and, they, and they lose everything and two-thirds of their people, they're gone. They all die, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's what's good about the show, too, is they are not afraid to kill. Again, Terry no, Nation, not afraid. Not afraid, not afraid to, kill, to characters. kill characters. Absolutely not. And they lose people. You lose people all the time. So, but a lot of interesting things develop from it because again, they talk about because again, you're not just losing people to uh, the plague initially. You're losing people to violence. You're losing people to again sickness, disease. Uh, so you're losing more and rabies. more people. They did a number of episodes where rabies is the big boogeyman of the episode. Rabies. And if it, and if anything looks like a 28 days later rage zombie, it's somebody out of their goddamn gourd on rabies. Yeah. It's... And there's uh, there was a, there was a whole episode like when they go to this new a new town, uh, they need to have they need like somebody needs to have a baby, so they need some medical equipment. So one of the one of the people volunteers to go to one of the smaller cities to get the equipment, and they generally stayed away from cities because they were 
festering pits of disease because of all the dead bodies. But so, uh, so he goes there, and he contracted bubonic plague because it came back. So he got it. It was he was isolated, and he died. He died to, to get the medicine to help the other woman. So then they start this whole protocol. If anybody leaves and comes back, or anybody knows, they quarantine them for ten days. Yeah, yeah. Because gee, we're a little short on antibiotics, so that's it. Uh, you've got to be isolated. That's the only thing you can do. It's like back to medieval technique. Yeah. So and it's it's it, and they really do touch on all this stuff. So it's, I find it very I found it very interesting. And then there was the one episode with the guy who was the um, the traitor. He was he oh, had yeah. he had trucks. He had guys who were wearing gas masks and suit going into the, all these cities and scavenging anything you need. Rakes, guns, food, canned goods, smokes, tobacco, medicine, and, he, and medicine. They had, and these guys were tooled up with these like biohazard gear and military style, you know, rifles. Weapons. And you think, well, these guys have really got their shit together and they're training. And what? And then there's this part where you realize, oh shit, we're dealing with crazy people because what are they trading all the goods for? Gold. Yeah. He thinks, well, gold's going to come back. Things are going to come back to where they were. Things are going to go back to normal. No, you should have a lot. You should have a lot of people who are in denial. They're like, "Oh, things will get back. Things will go back." So we're gonna get all this gold. You know, it's like uh, and that'll be that'll eventually that'll be the new currency of whatever new regime comes up in England. And um, I'm like, oh boy, uh, that was bad. But the worst thing about those douchebags was they'd go into a town, loot it for everything they could take out, and then they'd burn the town burn down it. so that any supplies they couldn't carry out were destroyed, therefore making the supplies they have more valuable. Yeah, they were they were saying, oh, well, we're cleansing the town because of all the disease and stuff. No, you couldn't get everything, and you want nobody to have anything. So they're yeah. burning the towns down. Yeah. Um, that was particularly insidious. Uh, the one thing that I was going to point out, speaking uh, of burning towns, was the one thing I liked about the episode The Fires of London, there's like two episodes where they go back into London. They find a community still living in London. But, uh, Under, one, underground, isolated, they travel through the subways because rats have infested the city so bad that you cannot travel above ground. Yeah, rats and rabbit dogs, and, and so they're down underneath the city uh, living in these sealed-off tunnels, and um, the one thing that was uh, that was really got me, though, was the idea that where they look at London at night, and it's just the whole city's on fire, you know, because yeah. when a fire starts... It doesn't burn out until it runs out of material. So the city is sort of perpetually smoldering and yeah, will be for for years. And yeah, because there's nobody to put it out. Yeah. Absolutely nobody. So so it, overall, again, it's I, I got through, like I said, the first season and a half again. Uh, you know, very interesting series. If you can but get you've your watched hand, the whole thing. You've watched the whole thing front to back. I, I've not seen – I've never seen the third season. So. Oh, really? Okay. I never saw the third season, so I've been kind of rewatching it, and it's it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of bringing that, but it's a good series. If anybody, if you have a chance to get your hands on it, like I said it's 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 uh, three seasons, and it's a total of, I mean, it's like each season's about thirteen uh, episodes, I think. It's a six disc disc set. So, but it's it's definitely worth your while to watch you know, if you take the time to watch. Any it. any fan of the apocalypse, you, the, the Brits do it really well, or at least they did it really well in the seventies because. When they re-released this in 2008. 2008, 2008, yeah, it is not the same series. Yeah, Every, I, I, everybody's prettier. First problem. 
Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, Scott. Knows. Scott's gonna definitely have to. Uh, there was a. There was a. There was a total of twelve episodes, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, Scott's going to need to talk to this a little more because I started watching the first episode and I really could not get that much into it. Yeah. Uh, because let me let me also let me read something here uh, from Wikipedia about the writers. Um, they claim it says here that they claimed that the new series retained the spirit of the '70s show, but Hodges, which is, I guess did it, uh, concentrated on the hope. And the humanity, which was said to be an attempt to make it less depressing to watch than the original. Uh, yes, there's a lot of tragedy in the original. It, it, it's a lot of a lot of your favorite characters get whittled down. You know, uh, I will note that nobody dies from the main characters in this one. Uh, yeah, but it, but it, made, it, it but that's what made it realistic because people die, and Interrogation is very good about that. So, yeah, in this new series, no people die, and. Uh, I mean, I've seen parts of it here and there, so I'm not very well versed in it. I'm making judgments, but again, it's from what I've read and what people told me, it's not very like it's. It wasn't like because in the original series, it was, it was a oops, we dropped the chemical and now things got out, total accident. But didn't you say, Scott, in this one, well, there's a whole conspiracy theory going on there's, now? There's in this? a whole conspiracy behind it, and um, you know, you start off where it starts off in the first episode. Okay, first of all, the plague goes much faster. They, they wipe out civilization in 30 seconds, uh, very quickly in the first episode. Uh, I think the entire first episode of uh, The Survivors is actually the fall of civilization. Yeah, yeah, I, I did watch that. It's the whole breakdown, and you got to get out of London, and this is what's yeah. going on. And, you know, they're trying to institute their emergency plans, but they're stalling, and it's too late. Everything's out of control. There's no, there's no pulling back. You know, it's yeah. done. You know. So uh, that you don't see any of that necessarily. The first episode goes much, much quicker uh, as far as the apocalypse, at least in my opinion, much quicker. Um, and then uh, very quickly after that, they establish that despite the fact that supposedly everything is wiped out, there are uh, guys in you know, biohazard suits uh, lurking around. And um, what it eventually turns out to be, it's not the government. It's not. It looks like the government for a while. You think maybe what you're dealing with is uh, a government, uh, like uh, survive some sort of bunker full of CDC style British, you know, guys. But what it turns out to be is some creepy pharmaceutical company. Because as everyone knows, big pharma is the evilest thing in the world. And that's um, and that's pretty lame, right there. Like, come on, seriously. It, why can't it just happen? Why does there have to be? Oh, it's a plot. It's it's an evil plot for them to do this, or it's this, well, it's or it's not this. Exactly, an evil plot for them to do this. It, it it is basically big farmers working on a new flu vaccine. They're testing it in the third world, where they don't have to, you know, obey any of these pesky protocols. You know, so oh, they go and, then, to some, and then it runs so, loose. Okay. Yeah, so they go to some libertarian paradise like the Congo or China or something and test it over there, and oops, the plague starts over there. But because it takes a while for the plague to gear up to full speed, the the pharmaceutical company has just enough time to tell all of the rich people, all those one percenters that we're supposed to hate so much, that the plague is coming, but we've got a lifeboat we're building, and you all rich people can get on the lifeboat. And so uh, one of the plot points is that Greg's character, his wife, gets on the lifeboat with their son, because her new husband is some uh, rich muckety-muck, and so his family's disappeared into this lifeboat. And they don't say where the lifeboat is. It's an island somewhere that they've built a facility, and the company is uh, 
trying to find a cure to the disease, but that's just so they can come back and be in charge of everything again. And that's, you know, this is they're gonna they're gonna make lemonade out of lemons. Where mm. sure we've wiped out ninety-nine percent of the population, but when we find the cure, we can come back and we'll be in charge of everything, and that's their plan. Um, and so it again, sounds like too, too many people surviving because again back to the original episode when the, with the whole thing with when they go to London there's a two episodes where they start hearing some radio bar, the, the radio guy picks up radio, uh, the Isle of White like they're trying to rebuild a, a, a community there he picked up it's like they're like well, what about the rest of the world it's like well he doesn't really pick much up he did uh, not that long ago pick up a radio transmission from Cairo and they say there's 12 people left in Cairo well 12 people that that guy knows about Exactly. Yeah, that, that, so. that operator knows about. But um, uh, they don't give you a lot of the rest of the world. Uh, they only have one season. They mostly concentrate on... Well, I think there was two. There's actually two series, I believe. Uh, yeah, two series, uh, 12 episodes total. Uh, total, I'm sorry. Yes, there's yeah. two, two series of six. Yeah. And it's all either Abby and Greg, and they take the bum from the first film, the first series, Tom Pike, who was utterly horribly useless uh, in every way that he could be useless, uh, and they turn him into a good-looking young guy who's a sociopathic uh, criminal who's escaped from from prison. Who because you know, that's, that's much more interesting. I would rather have an ugly old nasty bum who's completely useless who does nothing does nothing but cause problems. You know? Yeah. Well, that you know this guy you know this guy is a uh, is is very well adapted for the apocalypse because he's. He's a scumbag. Uh, utter, he's another scumbag who can who can just get things done. Well, anyways, there's this whole conflict with this. You know, they have a conflict with this group that's uh, building itself up from the from the ground up. But they're full of rules and regulation and power plays and people being dicks. So you know, our heroes strike off independently, and then there's the creepy corporation. And again, it all comes down to that series was basically that series was built on uh, finding the. Uh, the mystery behind the conspiracy, figuring that out, not day-to-day -day survival, not how to rebuild a society. Um, it's about uh, figuring out the conspiracy and interpersonal conflicts, people arguing and yelling at each other. And I should point out, and really, that's, uh, and that's, always, that's always that's always good. You know, who doesn't like that? Yeah, because that's what we need more of in you know The Walking Dead: less zombie attacks, Thanks. more arguing. Um, and, and the other thing is everyone's so goddamn pretty. That's one of the things that also bugs the shit out of me, is that even by British standards, and the British are better at this than us, yeah. you know, our TV shows, everyone's a goddamn JCPenney's, you know, underwear model. But, uh, well, isn't, isn't, this, but isn't that everybody in the world? Yeah, yeah. Well, after the plague, apparently. Oh, yeah. Only the uh, oh, so only the pretty people survive. Ah, um, yes. There's a fair amount of that. Uh, there's a few ugly people, but you can tell that they're the bad guys because they're ugly. They're ugly. Yeah. So I cannot recommend the 2008-2009. It does not. Yeah. So it does not compare to the original. Again, the original is very gritty, very grim, and the British the British are good at that. You know, threads. You know, they're just better at. Yeah, they're they're better at being more realistic. It's gritty. It's real. It's real. Like because again, Terra Nation addressed survival and uh, the day to day living and all the problems that they were going to have and how everything's going to happen. So much, much, much better series. So yeah, I, I I highly recommend the survivors for anyone 
who's got a who's got a, a, an interest in post-apocalyptic you know sort of stories and and also this thing is devoid of that I mean it's kind of it's also devoid of the kind of uh, pre apocalyptic politics you know a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction is just um, this thing where people recast the politics of the day into the post-apocalyptic setting you know what I mean yeah where it becomes you know us versus them rich versus poor haves versus have-nots whites versus blacks whatever bullshit it's agenda all of the politics I, I don't remember almost all the politics before uh, uh, the the collapse before the plague are gone. And yeah. Anyone who's anyone who's sort of still clinging to that comes off as utterly ludicrous, as 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 almost mentally ill that they would be worrying about that kind of thing in the middle of the apocalypse. Oh yeah, and that's and, and they've really addressed it in the show. They're like, really, you're worried about money? Why? It's like we yeah. dude, we, we got to survive, you know. So uh, they really they do address it a lot. It's very it's very uh, good. So. Uh, all right, so folks, we're gonna start wrapping up here because uh, we ran a little long. Maybe we had some problems, but I think we're, we're okay at this point. So, um, we, we uh, I'm gonna suggest to Mr. Walls that at some point we try broadcasting this on a different day of the week just to see if it has anything to do with Mondays and my internet traffic or something. I don't know. I, I, oh yeah, yeah we could. We give it a try. Well, let's we'll give everybody advance notice. Yeah. Now, uh, next week, actually, guys. Uh, normally, we do every two weeks, but to kind of make up for our, some of our downtime, we're going to actually do another show next week yeah. uh, because two weeks from now, though, that weekend is the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which uh, I will be in attendance, and so will Scott. And I'm going to be traveling back from Portland, Oregon, to the penis tip of the country. South Florida, and I'm not going to be back till very late, so we're not going to be able to do it that night. So, uh, so we're going to not do it from two weeks, but we're gonna actually do one next week, and then we'll do it two weeks after that. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to we're going to stay in the '70s because you know we love the '70s. You know, uh, you know we love. It's actually a target-rich environment. It is, you know, and you know it's it's got things like uh, you know leisure suits. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go leisure suits. I was going to go. You know, Logan's Run, Boy and His Dog, but well, all right. Well, the 70s. Well, the 70s got leisure suits and disco balls and, uh, you know, all that kind of fun bell stuff. Bell bottoms. Bell bottoms. Bell bottoms. Who doesn't like bell bottoms? But um, <laughs> so what we're going to do in this uh, next show is we're going to talk about, uh, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of, not, because there's a lot, and again, we don't want to burn burn our uh, content up yet, but we're going to touch on a few uh, 1970s post-apocalyptic films. You know, maybe initially we might stay away from some of the more well-known ones. We might drop on things like we were talking about. Uh, the Ravagers. No Blade, the Ravagers, which is the based Ravagers. off which is based off a book called Paths to Savagery. Very, with Ernest Borgnine, not well-known. No Blade of Grass. We're probably, Richard, we're, Richard Harris. Richard Harris, too. Yes, that is right. So we're going to probably try to touch on, you know, some movie, more like that. And we'll eventually hit the, the staples, you know, A Boy and His Dog and Logan's Run. But you know what? A lot of people talked about it already. Let's talk about the obscure shit. Let's try to because we want to try to bring you something that you might not know about. I interrupted so, you when you were going to mention no blade of grass. Yeah. So uh, things like that. As like I said, we want to try to bring you things that you may not be aware of, and we will touch on the common stuff. Everybody knows Mad Max and all that kind of stuff. But does, does Ultimate Warrior count as obscure or well known? Uh, I'm going to say obscure because who the hell knows about the Ultimate Warrior? Not many people. Um, yeah, we weren't able to get a DVD release in this continent until recently. Or just I know a you got yours. 
you got yours from Germany. Yes, you know, I got my original copy of The Ultimate Warrior with Yul Brenner. Yeah. Uh, it was a an German... American, an American movie, and he had to buy it from Germany. In Germany, because, again, I have that multi-region player. German version, uh, and it's, again, the menus are simple enough that you can just figure out, oh, okay, Sprechen, that's language. Let me put it on English. Uh, but eventually it came out, uh, an American version, uh, a couple, a year or two ago, a couple of years ago. It was like a combo pack with something, some hor other horrible movie. But, uh, but at least... I got the American version so I could play it on my Blu-ray player so I could get the upscaling. So, uh, well, I think you'll. I think that's pretty obscure, unless for people in the know, because there was a previous post-apocalyptic podcast that was out there a couple of years ago, which uh, they may have touched on it. Yeah, they well, they only touched on they. Well, it was suggested to them because one of their viewers like, oh, what about that? They're like, oh, the Ultimate Warrior. I've never heard of that. We'll have to look into that. And it's like, oh, why do you not know about that? <laughs> Amateurs, it's amateur amateurs. Night. Again, I don't claim to know everything. Scott doesn't know to claim claim everything. But you know what? You got to know more than just Mad Max on the road. Okay, you have to know more than that shit. You know, <laughs> so typically it's to put on a decent show. So we're gonna talk about post-apocalyptic movies of the '70s next week. Now, like I always tell everybody, be socially responsible, people. You know, view us. You know, if you're gonna view us online, like like it on YouTube. Uh, like us on Facebook if you already haven't. You know, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, always wear protection. Huh? Oh yeah. Always, always wear protection. Or is it? Or are you talking about a different kind of social responsibility? Uh, a completely different social responsibility. We'll get into that another the, show. We'll get into, into that another social. show. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, follow, like us on Facebook. You know, like you know, uh, retweet things that we uh, follow us on Twitter. Go to the website. Tell your friends. If you have friends who are interested, tell them to go to the website and watch us. You know, like it on YouTube, like us on Facebook, like I said before. You know, this, uh, all those things help, and it shows that there is an interest in the community, and it, help, it helps build it. And if you don't like it, you know, then don't let it. If you really hate the show, then don't let us waste more of your time by writing up how bad we are. You know, that's just a waste of your time. You don't want to do that. Uh, but you know they're going to do it anyway because that's what people like to do. So, uh, but yeah, if you said you know, it, you know, it helps us out, it helps you out. Just again, we we appreciate it. So yes, we that's, do. That's going to be it for this week. Uh, any final thoughts, Scott? Uh, yes, yes, I will. Uh, the, my main final thought is is that um, uh, holy crap, Gene Roddenberry does not know how to does not know how to dress people. Holy no. crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, uh, if, if for those of you who are out there and get to see Genesis Two, uh, you know Planet Earth, uh, you and and, and and Strange World, you will be stunned speechless by the amazing costumes. They are, oh my god, it's fan, it's fantastic. So, so yeah, that's that. Uh, I don't really have much. Uh, again, I talked about a, little, a couple of things here and there, and um, like I said, my favorite quote of the week was, of course. I am so close to losing every last bit of my shit. Again, favorite, <laughs> that's my favorite quote of the week. Maybe favorite quote of the month. And, uh, again, you know, if you guys encounter everything, I've had some people sending me some uh, uh, some private messages. I've had people post some stuff, some different things to look at. And don't go, worry, guys. I've, I've noticed them, and I will look them over, and we'll definitely address those. So, don't feel, again, don't feel afraid. Afraid to send us suggestions, you know. We'll definitely uh, take a look at them and see. We'll we'll get them. We'll get stuff worked in. As long as it's you know, again, we'll see how interesting it is. See if it's relevant. See you know, um, uh, see what we could see what we could do with it. So uh, that that's okay. fine. That's fine. And uh, always remember, Domars are 
stupid. <laughs> Never forget that. So, good evening, uh, fellow mutants. So, Scott Glancy, he's out of here. Thank you, sir. Good night. And again, this is the Apocalypse Nerd. Again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for uh, putting up with us yet again for another week. And we will see you again next Monday for uh, more 1970s movies about the apocalypse. Thank you, and good night.